Well, friends, it truly is a delight to be with you this morning to worship the resurrection of the Lord Jesus together as a church family, with family and friends. Truly, there is not a better place in the world that we could be than right here and right now. Beloved, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at John chapter 20, verses 1 through 19. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God, written for you and written for me. Now on the first day of the week, this is now Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to him, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple, we know that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God lasts forever. And may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Now, I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but there was quite an announcement made a few weeks ago regarding a brand new discovery in the field of biblical archaeology. And it is an exciting discovery indeed, a discovery so important that some think it's perhaps one of the most important biblical archaeological discoveries 
ever. What is this discovery? While uh, excavating on Mount Ebal, which is in the Promised Land, archaeologists recently found what is described as a tiny lead tablet, two centimeters by two centimeters, which is said to have inscribed on it the oldest Hebrew text ever found in Israel. Scholars date this tiny tablet back to 1200 BC, which, if verified, would prove and establish that the Israelites were literate when they went in to the Promised Land. This has been a major issue in scholarly circles, and this fine may have settled it once and for all. A quote from the article. It would be the first attested use of the name of God in the land of Israel and would set the clock back on proven Israelite literacy by several centuries. This is a text you find only every thousand years. It's that rare and that significant. And as the folks in my Sunday school class learned today, I love archaeological finds and digs and new discoveries and things like that. There's another archaeological find and site relevant to our morning today that has greatly interested me over the past few years, and it's the tomb of Jesus that's contained in the church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem. I don't know if you've seen this. There was a whole... Um, uh, National Geographic documentary about what happened in 2016 at the tomb of Jesus in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. In 2016, various authorities who control that site, after 30 years of negotiation, finally allowed an archaeological team to do a renovation project on the tomb of Jesus that's contained in a small house that they call the edicule, which means in Latin, little house. I don't know if you've ever gone online and seen this tomb in the church of the Holy Sepulchre. Perhaps you've been there yourself. The tomb of Jesus is in this little square house. Well, in the course of their renovation, they were able, they were able to determine that the tomb is the very same tomb that was identified back in 325 A.D. by Constantine. How did they do this? So back in 2016, they send in this team to do this renovation project. In the course of the renovation project, their focus was on the limestone burial ledge of Jesus. And it gives me goosebumps to even describe it. Non-Christians were working on it and were amazed at what they found. There was a marble slab on the limestone ledge that they took off, expecting to find the burial ledge. They did not. They found a more ancient marble ledge under it that went back to the time of the Crusades that was broken in half. And when they wiped the dust away, they were looking at the very limestone burial ledge that is said that the Lord Jesus laid on. They were able to date it back to the times of 326 AD, the time when Constantine had a church built over it. Now, this is fascinating. 
Constantine came to faith in about 312 AD. After Constantine came to faith, he grew as a Christian. In 325 AD, under the influence of his mother, who was also a born-again evangelical, he set out to build a church on the site where it was said that Jesus was laid. So he sent engineers and agents back to Jerusalem, and they went to inquire to find out where is the tomb of Jesus. Well, here's what had happened. For about a hundred years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the earliest Christians made pilgrimages to a certain tomb in Jerusalem. Okay? They also knew where Golgotha was. In 126 AD, Hadrian, the Roman emperor, was tired of the Jews' issues in Jerusalem, and so he sent an army in to continue to destroy Jerusalem, what had happened in 70 AD, Hadrian finished the job in 136 AD. And in order to desecrate what had become one of the most sacred sites in all of the world, Hadrian built a temple dedicated to Zeus and Aphrodite. So Hadrian built a massive temple over the burial place of Jesus and the quarry of Golgotha. And he positioned the statue of Zeus directly over the tomb of Jesus, and he positioned the statue to Aphrodite over Golgotha. Christians knew exactly where those two places were. So 200 years later, when Constantine comes in to try to figure out where the tomb is, all the local Christians said, the tomb of Jesus is under Zeus, Golgotha is under where Aphrodite is. So the excavation project began. And guess what the engineers of Constantine found directly under the statue of Zeus? They found a simple limestone grave with a burial ledge. Under Aphrodite, they found a raised place very consistent with what the Gospels describe about Golgotha. He had found what many Christians believe the actual burial place of Jesus. When they pulled back that slab in the video and you saw the limestone ledge on which the body of Jesus Christ had been laid, totally amazing. If authentic, that burial ledge is perhaps one of the most important places in all of the world, in all of history. And we're going to focus on that limestone ledge this morning. Obviously, because of who wasn't there, but it's also going to be amazing when we look at who was there. Okay, let's look at our text. Let's look at verse 1. We're going to go through the narrative. We're going to make some observations and, Lord willing, learn some new things and be amazed at the implications of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Look at verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. As you know, Mary Magdalene was perhaps, more than any other, the most dedicated disciple of Jesus. She had been 
um, freed of possession from seven demons, and now she was a totally committed follower of the Lord Jesus. There were other women with her, but John focuses on Mary Magdalene. She and the other women who are there with her, they are there to do a job. What job were they there to do? Do you remember? They were there to finish preparing the body of Jesus. Because if you remember in the gospel accounts, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had to get him in that tomb as fast as possible before sunset. And so Mary Magdalene and the other women had gotten there very early to finish the process of preparation and embalmment. But Mary Magdalene gets there, the stone is gone, and she is panicked. She is not even considering a resurrection. Look at verse 2. She sees the stone rolled away. Verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now this is concerning to her because she wants to finish honoring the body of Jesus whom she loved. Wasn't even considering the resurrection. She wanted to honor the body of her teacher. Verse 2 again. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to, him, said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Very interesting eyewitness detail. John tells us, okay, Peter may be strong, but John was faster, okay? John gets there first. And out of deference to Peter, he waits on Peter to actually go in. Verse 4, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Verse 5, and stooping to look in. Now, isn't that an interesting eyewitness detail? Stooping to look in. Why would they have to stoop in to look into the grave? Well, because burial stones were very expensive. So in order to keep the burial stone a little smaller, you would make the opening smaller. So you would have to stoop to look in. Verse 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. I think out of deference to Peter, he's waiting for Peter. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb, just like Peter. He goes right in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, notice that detail, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. It's amazing the details that you remember. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. Probably didn't believe that he'd been raised from the dead yet. Believed Mary that the body had been taken. Look at verse 9. For as yet, meaning they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. They went back to their homes amazed, astonished, but not yet believing. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Okay, so what's going on? Mary goes. She gets there first with the other women. She sees the stone rolled away. She goes back to tell the disciples, Peter and John, um, go 
and run to the tomb, see it's empty, then they leave. Mary is following them, okay? So after Peter and John leave, now Mary is there. Now she's by herself. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She's back. She's all alone. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. I want you to remember that. Two angels, one at the head and one at the feet. Verse 13, they said to her, these angels, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. I think she heard him walking up. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. In other words, I will give him a proper burial. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned. Now, before we focus on that, I want, to, I want us to imagine this in our mind's eye because it's very dramatic. She gets back to the tomb. She's all by herself. She looks in. The angels say to her, why are you weeping? She explains why. She hears something behind her. She turns around. She sees who she thinks is a gardener who repeats the question of the angels. Why are you weeping? Then the gardener adds, whom are you seeking? Okay. And then Mary tells him, okay. And then I think she turns back around to look into the tomb. Okay. That's when Jesus said to her, her back is now turned to him. He says to her, Mary. And that's when the text says she turned. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. What do you think it was that helped her to instantly recognize this is Jesus? This is my rabbi. Was it the tone and timbre of his voice? Was it his accent? Was it the loving way he said her name? Was it that he decided to reveal himself in that moment? That is the single sweetest word she had ever heard in her life. Mary. And she turns around, overwhelming. Rabboni, teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet, I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, there is so much we could say here about this picture, but I just want to focus on one detail. One detail that's easy to miss, that when you understand it, you'll know it's not a small detail at all. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. When you see what's happening here, it is mind-blowing how the entirety of the Bible comes together in just two verses. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, 
she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. I submit to you, my friends, that is not an off-the-cuff comment. That is not John just giving the reader a miscellaneous detail that the reader might find interesting. The angels were there to make a very, very important point. Okay, we have a precedent for this. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we looked at the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus? When he goes up on the mountain, Peter, James, and John are with him. Jesus is praying. Jesus becomes glorified. And then what envelops the mountain? Do you remember what envelops the mountain at that point? A cloud. Okay? And when Mark and Matthew tell the reader about a cloud, that wasn't just a weather report to help you understand what's going on at the top of the mountain. That cloud was the very same Shekinah glory cloud that had enveloped Mount Sinai under Moses' ministry. It was connecting the Mount of Transfiguration back to the Old Testament with Moses and Elijah. And so the cloud descending on that mountain was not a miscellaneous detail, a weather report. It was important, and the same is happening here. John shares the positioning of the angels on the limestone burial ledge of Jesus, and that was important. It is the view of many scholars that the angels of God, the angels of the living God on that morning, placed themselves one at the head and one at the feet to communicate something very significant to Mary and something very significant to you and me. Okay? Very, very significant. The angels were communicating without words everything that any of us needs to know about the reason for which Jesus came. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read briefly from two passages of the Old Testament, one from Exodus, one from Leviticus. See if you can do the math with me. If you have some coffee, take a sip, okay? We're going to consider this together. See if you can notice the connection between what John points out that Mary saw in that tomb and things that preceded it from the Old Testament. I'm going to read a passage from Exodus, a passage from Leviticus regarding the Ark of the Covenant from the Old Testament. For those of you who have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, the Ark of the Covenant... We're going to briefly read about the Ark of the Covenant. This is from Exodus 25, verses 17 through 25. Just listen. You don't have to go there. Just listen. Instructions. Instructions about how to build the Ark of the Covenant, where the Ten Commandments would be put. What was to go on the Ark? Verse 17. Make an atonement cover of pure gold. The atonement covenant cover was the lid of the ark. Other translations translate atonement cover as mercy seat because it was on the top of the ark that mercy was procured. Exodus 25, 17, make an atonement cover of pure gold. That's the lid of the ark. And make two cherubim, 
cherubim are angels. Make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in it the ark of the testimony, meaning the Ten Commandments, which I will give you. Listen to this. There, there, between the two cherubim, there will I meet with you. Exodus 16, 15. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest shall slaughter a goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood and sprinkle it between the angels on the atonement cover, on the mercy seat. My friends, do you see the connection of what's happening here? It is truly amazing. Here's the fullness of the picture. In Exodus, we see two angels, one on either end of the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant. In the empty tomb, we see two angels on either end of where the body of Jesus had been laid. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sprinkle blood between the two angels on the atonement cover, making atonement to atone for the sins of Israel. In that empty tomb, between the two angels was the place where the body and blood of Jesus of Nazareth had been laid, which atoned for the sins of the people. In Exodus 25, 22, we read, it's between the two cherubim. There I will meet you. And in between those two angels where Jesus had been laid is where Jesus, I'm sorry, in between those two angels is where Jesus had been placed and Jesus is now where God meets us. Can you imagine that? Between those two angels, there will I meet you. In the crucifixion and resurrection, between those two angels, there Jesus of Nazareth now meets us. Jesus wasn't there. He wasn't between those angels any longer. Why? Why wasn't he there? Because atonement, full and final atonement had been made. And because full atonement had been made, death could not hold him, and God raised him from the dead. There in the tomb, my friends, I would submit to you, there in that tomb, between those two angels, is the ultimate picture of mercy. Jesus Christ had come to shed blood once and for all. God himself making the final sacrifice, the sacrifice which all of the others pictured. Jesus wasn't there. Jesus had been raised because atonement had been made. Isn't that incredible? Two angels bracketing the presence of God Almighty in Jesus Christ who had finished the work of giving his life for you and for me. One writer commented this way, the space between the cherubim, it's empty now. The mercy seat, no longer a place of blood and death. Mercy now is alive, living and breathing and speaking our names. Beloved, all of this is what we mean when we proclaim that he is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Pray with me, our gracious God and Father. We do not have the time to 
understand and mine all of the riches of this text. This morning we just chose one. One detail that shows how the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, comes together in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the truths of the Old Testament that anticipated a day when God would meet with us between the angels. We thank you that in the person of Jesus Christ, we understand that he is where God meets us. Heavenly Father, help us to be amazed at the truth of the resurrection and the implications that flow from it. Father, as we look at this passage, as we consider the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, I pray that we would be changed and grown and sanctified and mature, Father. And I pray that you would help us long more than anything else. I, help you, I pray that you would help us to long for the day when we hear Jesus call out our names when we meet him in the new heavens and the new earth. We pray all this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen and amen.